Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. All right, so... Week one was not exactly what I think most 49ers fans had hoped for. I guess the score was, I guess if you said the Niners were going to go into Minnesota and only lose by one score to a Vikings team that really could be the class of the NFL. I mean, this could be the team that wins the Super Bowl. They're that good, and Minnesota is a tough place to play. If you said they would lose by one score and make all the mistakes they made, they pretty much beat themselves. You take it. You take the glass half full approach. If you want to say, you know what? This team shot themselves in the foot. They dropped passes. They turned the ball over four times. They missed tackles. It was ugly, and it was ugly like we saw in the preseason, too. Maybe you want to take the glass half empty approach. This is Al Sacco and Zane Nackby with you for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And Zane, are you half empty or half full right now? I'm definitely half full. Like I, I predicted, so... um for for those of you who didn't listen to last show, and there's probably very few of you because we have so many loyal listeners and you, you all are <laughs> awesome. But I had predicted the 49ers to actually lose the game 24 to 20. And I got the, the Vikings score right, which is awesome, but the 49ers didn't get quite get to 20 points. I thought this was going to be one of those games. This was probably honestly how like the hardest game on the schedule, and it was in the end up being first. So you could kind of see the 49ers still stuck in preseason mode in many ways. They were making a lot of really dumb mistakes that you usually don't see. Uh, later on in the season, but you have to say that this is half full because this is a perennial Super Bowl contender. Like Minnesota basically brought back the same exact team that almost went to the Super Bowl last year, plus Kirk Cousins, obviously minus Jarek McKinnon, but they've got Dalvin Cook back who kind of offsets that. So you have to say that they, they hung in there for, for the entire game. It's not like they got blown out of the water. Like, I don't know if you remember how it was in the dark years and some of us like to forget that, but this 49ers team and the dark years would have gotten blown out by 30 points when they got down 24 to six. That's it. That's a wrap. It's like, it's going to be 40 to six, but no, they fought back. They clawed back into it. They still made mistakes, but they fought back into it and put themselves in the position to at least tie the game in the end. And that, that shows you how good this team is in terms of how far along they've come since Kyle Shanahan took over. And honestly, Alec, I think that the end of the season, we're going to look back on this and be like, look, we're going to look at how good Minnesota is at the end of the season. And we're going to be like, man, I can't believe the 49ers took them the entire four quarters to, to be put away. Man, so much to look back on and so much to look forward to with this week two matchup. And, and we're going to do that. And it's going to be therapeutic. But before we do, Zane and I have been talking about this new book, Gridiron Genius by Michael Lombardi for probably about a month now. Mm-hmm. And we got advanced copies of it and loved it. And Michael has been in the NFL and for offices for over 30 years. And, and he started out under Bill Walsh amazing stories in this book and we were lucky enough to get michael on the show this episode and we were able to ask him about the book about jimmy garoppolo about kyle shanahan and where he thinks the 49ers might be headed most recently on the coaching staff of the new england patriots our guest has worked in nfl front offices for over 30 years with teams like the 49ers raiders and browns where he served as a general manager he's also the host of the gm street podcast and author of the new book gridiron genius he is michael lombardi mike thanks for the time Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now, Gridiron Genius takes us through 30 plus years of your life in the NFL, and I can only imagine the amount of time and thought that went into doing this book. Can you take us through the process of how it all came together and and how long it took to write? 
Well, the process is you know, obviously a long time. It's been in my head. You know, when you've worked for the two, you know, I've worked for some incredibly talented people, you know, especially coaches with Coach Walsh and, and, and Bill Belichick. And so the, the idea in my head was always, the book was always titled The Bill of Rights. I always thought it was about my relationship with two, two great bills and have 10 chapters, much like the Bill of Rights, and write, write about each and kind of play off of how similar yet how different they are in style. But as I got, I got involved in the book and as I got more going through the book, it was became more, I wanted to incorporate some of Al Davis in it and, mm-hmm. and change. So it kind of, it kind of went, went away, went a different route like most books typically do. And so that's kind of how it became Gridiron Genius. I like the title, The Bill of Rights. I just couldn't get my agent or my publisher to buy into it. <laughs> and you start off your career working with Walsh and it's almost like you're starting an academic career in a master's class learning from someone like that. What did Bill Walsh mean to you as a mentor and a person? Well, I mean, everything that I thought, everything that's in that book it comes from Bill. I mean, the idea that, you know, when he asked me the question, you know, Tom Peters, and I thought he was a punter, you know, and that, that sent me down a path of leadership and, and understanding how to, how to create culture and all those things. It would have never happened if I didn't work for Coach Walsh. You know, the idea of reading and learning outside the building would have never happened if I didn't work for Coach Walsh. And the, how to think differently would have never happened if I didn't work for Coach Walsh. So, Everything that I've done, and I, I quote the man probably often many times a day because what he would say to me, I, I remember, and it sticks in my head. And Walsh built a dynasty that lasted almost two decades, and Bill Belichick has built one that's, that's going on two decades. You've worked so closely with both of these men. In what ways are they similar, and in what ways are they different? Well, the similarities are, are this. They both worked and believed in their principal job as the CEO of the company was to establish, drive, and maintain culture in the building. That's really what they, even though Walsh gets credit for the West Coast offense, Belichick gets credit for the Patriot way. The reality of what they did was very simple. They drove culture. They created culture in their buildings. The culture was everlasting. They made sure the players understood the culture, were disciplined towards the culture. Their styles may be different. I mean, Coach Walsh's white sneakers were never dirty. Belichick sneakers are probably always dirty. Coach Walsh never cut off anything. He looked like he was always getting ready to teach a class. You know, he was perfectly dressed. His hair was always perfectly combed. Belichick's different in that way. He's kind of has a different approach. So it's not really, you can't really, you know, that, that they, but they get to the same point and the same place in terms of culture because they both believed in it. And they've maintained this success for so long. And I mean, it's, it's really unheard of what those two have done. And what is it about those two men that makes them more successful than their peers? Is it talent? Is it, is it drive? What, what is it? Well, I think drive. I think that they understand its culture. I think they worked on culture. I think they knew how to, and they knew how to evaluate players and they understood their team really well. And this is the other point most people forget. John McBay was a wonderful general manager, but Bill made all the decisions on football and Belichick has people helping him, but he makes all, so they were really good at their job as the GM and they were really good as their job as the coach. Both men are. And that's a hard thing to do. Some guys in the league are bad at coaching and good at GM. And some guys are bad at GMing and good at coaching. And so there, there lies the difference. And I think both of those guys were good at both jobs. So drafty, I mean, you, you wrote just, I love the story about the 1986 draft uh, with Walsh. Uh, how, 
in terms of Walsh and Belichick, do they both sort of approach the draft the same way? I mean, are, are those guys the end-all be-all when it comes to draft day? Yeah, I mean, look, Bill invented trading down. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you know, everybody trades down now. Bill, we did it in 86 when it wasn't popular. You know, so, yeah, they, they value players. Of, you know, Bill's, Bill's terminology was this. We, let's find a player that fits our system, and we'll tailor what we do to him. And Belichick's the same way. You know, we have a certain player that does this. We can get him to do other things. So I think they're very clear, and they, have, they both had a very good understanding of what they needed offensively, what they needed defensively, and the players and the style of what they needed. Now, here's where they're both very similar, how they both play the game, how they approach the game. Walsh's West Coast offense was built on the idea, we're going to score quickly and have a nickel defense where we can rush the passer. Belichick saw same thing. We're going to, we're going to win the, we, if we, we're going to score early and both teams are effective and then we're going to play from in front. So they get to it, they get to different places, you know, different ways, but they also are very good at doing it. What were some of your favorite stories or just parts of the book that were maybe most special for you as you were writing them? Uh, you know, the, I love the chapter. I, the, it was fun to write the chapter on the, the the game against the Baltimore, where I got to go through. And the stories of always about Walsh's vision were good, fun for me to write, because some people just don't remember Bill that well. You know, they don't remember his greatness. Forty Nine er fans do, but maybe some of the people in the world don't remember that he started in Cincinnati and that it really was the Midwest offense. It wasn't the West Coast offense, and it <laughs> and he was divergent in thought in that room in that in that dungy old stadium when he had to create an offense that would fit Virgil Carter. So that was fun, and then I think the whole you know special teams chapter. You know, it was it was a hard chapter for me to write because I didn't really know how to approach the special teams chapter because but it was so important about how to build all in, how to create a team with everything. And you know, Walsh was not a huge special teams guy. He liked clean exchanges, but he also valued special teams players whether it was Billy Ring or Milt McCoy, McCall. There's certain guys he loved to have and so they were different. But I think I think all those chapters kind of were fun. It was a fun book to write to be honest with you. It was a fun book to read, and one of the parts that kind of caught me off caught me off guard. I guess I didn't expect it was about Jimmy Garoppolo, and it was crazy to hear what Belichick thought of him. It seemed like he loved him from what what you wrote in there. Can you talk a little bit a little bit about what Bill saw in Jimmy? Well, look, you know, I, I got fired in Cleveland after the 2013 season in 2014, and the whole plan when I went to Cleveland was to find a quarterback. So I'd spent that whole off season in. Cleveland looking at every quarterback and people say well it wasn't a great quarterback draft well it kind of was really it had Blake Bortles it had it had uh Teddy Bridgewater it had Johnny Manziel it had Derek mm-hmm. Carr and it had Jimmy Garoppolo it had five quarterbacks and Mike Lennon was in that draft class too so there was a bunch of quarterbacks in that class I don't think Lennon was in that I think he was the year before but anyway so I spent a lot of work when I went to New England Brady had not had a great 2013 season still a great player but it, they they ran the ball much more than they threw it so you know we the best time to draft a quarterback is when you have one. And so we talked a lot about it and we went through it and, you know, and Jimmy just was a guy, we brought him in the same day we brought Johnny Manziel. And I talk about this in the book and he was able to show himself and he handled it well. So, uh, you know, I just thought it was a good opportunity, uh, you know, and Bill liked him and, and, you know, respected Jimmy because Jimmy wasn't going to back down, you know, Tom's an intimidating guy. And so when he comes into the room you you, you got to compete against them, but you also have to respect them. And that's where Jimmy was really good. And how did the trade come about? I mean, it almost seemed like 
you know, Garoppolo was going to be Steve Young to Joe Montana. He was going to take over. And then there were a lot of, there was a lot of interest in him. And then all of a sudden he's dealt to the Niners for a second round pick. Was that Don Yee, the agent for both of them kind of pushing it? Did Kraft push it? Did Brady push it? How do you think that trade came about? Well, I think it was hard. I think the, I, I don't think anybody pushed it other than the facts of the case pushed it. Don Yee represents both Jimmy and Tom. So how do you get Jimmy under contract without pissing off Tom? <laughs> you know, sure. yeah. and Jimmy wants to play. He spent four. He spent four years there. He's time for him to play. He wants to play, and he deserves to play. And Tom's put five Super Bowls up on the in in, in the building. So how do you let him go? You know, so it's very difficult. And one guy, if one guy wouldn't have represented both players, perhaps maybe they would have gotten something done. But unfortunately, they did, and I think it's the benefit of the Forty ers what were your thoughts on Garoppolo in week one? Is that a performance that we should be worried about, or you think it was just a speed bump type thing? Uh, well, I think, look, I think guys going to Minnesota, it's hard. I think, you know, it was challenging. They didn't throw, didn't play very well on third down. I think that was a concern. So you have to worry about, you know, worry about that. They didn't really, they had a lot of, I thought they had drops, even though the stats say they only had mm-hmm. one drop. I thought they dropped a lot of passes in the game. And I thought Jimmy didn't really throw the ball with, with, with as much precision and as much anticipation as he usually does. And even though they did run the ball a little bit, I really thought that, you know, they, that, that's a hard place to play up there. And you get behind, you make mistakes, and it costs you. So I think this will be a big week for him. I think Kyle Shanahan will do a good job against Detroit. He understands how Detroit's defense is set up. And I think that uh, it'll be a um, – I think he'll rebound. I think Jimmy's a really good player. I'm not going to go overreact to just one loss. And you've been around these legends and you understand what it takes, like you said, to, to build a culture, to build a dynasty. And the 49ers are trying to rebuild what they once had under Walsh. And I'm curious what your opinion is on Kyle Shanahan and if you think he can be an upper echelon type head coach in the NFL. Well, I think, you know, I, I like what the 49ers did. And here's what I like that they did. They went back to the roots, right? Look, I, I'm a personnel guy, but personnel guys are not as effective without the coach running the team. I worked for Belichick. Belichick ran the team. And I think with Kyle, the way they're set up now, you know, they went through that whole series of, okay, we're going to have Trent Balky and we're going to have Jim Harbaugh and both, and Balky's controlling the personnel and Balky works, you know, Harbaugh works for Balky. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. It didn't work with Chip. It didn't work with anybody. Now they've got it set up where Kyle comes in. He's in charge of everything. John Lynch works for him. He has the title, just like John McVay had the title. And everything kind of goes through the head coach's chair. Not that John's not making an impact. No, I'm not saying that. But it all goes through the chair, and I think that's the way it should be. And I think Kyle's qualified to handle it. And finally, Mike, you talked in the book about the future of the game, and we're seeing rules in football now that are intended to make the play safer, but there appears to be so much gray area that it's hurting the product. I mean, in the Eagles-Falcons game to open the season, there were more total penalty yards than the Eagles had total yards. Are we even going to recognize this game in 10 years? I hope so. I do. I just think to me, I wrote about shortening the game. I mean, you know, we're talking about, I think if we shorten the game to 48 minutes, you know, and cut 12 minutes off, I think it would make the game more exciting. It would put pressure on, it wouldn't, you know, look, the best part about football is the last four minutes of each half, right? So why not get to that as quickly as we can? And so I, I hope we will. I think special teams can't leave the game. I think it's too important to the physical mental toughness of your team. So I hope we will. I really do. The book is Gridiron Genius, and he is Michael Lombardi. Mike, thanks so much for the time. Thank you. And thank you again to Michael Lombardi for joining us. And Al, I was reading through his book, and I've been reading through his book, and one specific excerpt kind of stuck out to me, and it was about Jimmy Garoppolo and how the Patriots settled on it. So do you want, do you want to hear it? Let's, let's do it, man. 
All right, cool. So, um, and this is actually from the from the book, uh, directly from the book. Um, and they're talking about how they're evaluating college quarterbacks and how they narrowed it down to two quarterbacks. So he said, uh, talking of uh, Josh McDaniels and his his evaluation quarterbacks, he said, by the time McDaniels and Belichick had completed their tape study, we were down to two quarterbacks, Manziel and Garoppolo. I admit that I was fascinated by Manziel despite his lack of height and loved how Garoppolo dominated his level of competition. That might not have swayed Al Davis, but it is enough for me. Manziel had a boatload of off-field issues that we had to research to separate fact from fiction. Garoppolo stood out in almost every area, but spending time with him would help us determine whether we, he could duplicate his skill set at this skill at this level and grow in our offense. One director Belichick kept pounding into us was that we were not looking to duplicate Brady. Whoever we drafted, the offense would have to do some adapting to his strengths. That is not to suggest that we would overhaul the offense, but once we understood the new guy's strengths, we would feature plays and wrinkles to highlight them. When Brady took over for Drew Bledsoe, the Patriots tweaked the offense by making it slightly less vertical, increasing the focus on timing routes and using tight end as a weapon. When big play wide receiver Randy Moss arrived, the Patriots tweaked their attack once more to take advantage of this incredible speed and downhill threat. Belichick may not be much for change, but he's a big believer in adaptation. When potential draft picks come to New England for a visit, it's not a recruiting trip. Belichick, Belichick has zero interest in being a salesman for the program. He just wants to find the truth about each player. Players meet with all divisions of the football operations and then sit alone with McDaniels as they watch tape, as Jimmy Garoppolo did. At some point, they have to explain the plays they're watching and then learn some basics of the playbook. After lunch, the players are put through a walkthrough of the plays they learned. Once this is over, they meet Belichick, who, like any other great trial lawyer, has all the answers to the questions before he asks them. Now, after Manziel and Garoppolo headed to their next NFL destinations, Belichick held a meeting to review the day. All the coaches in the session felt that both men passed muster as far as being able to learn the offense not being overwhelmed by their potential proximity to a legend. But Manziel had those issues which would not be cleared in a one-day visit. Garoppolo, in contrast, just had it. I swear, he seemed like the living embodiment of my seven QB qualities, which he also describes in the book. And after, after we selected him in the second round, it became clear that everything that we had thought about him was dead on. There was a quiet confidence in whatever he did. He was a great worker, his football smarts were off the charts, and he carried himself like a leader at all times. So, Al, I mean, like, right away, these guys knew that Jimmy had it. And I don't care what his stat line was like in, the, in, in game one against the, probably the best defense in the league. But he just has it. Yeah, it's high praise for him. It really is. And, and you see how much Belichick loved him. And you see, obviously, what in an ideal world for the Patriots, it would have been a Montana Tiong situation where Brady retires or moves on or whatever, and then they move right to Garoppolo. But it didn't happen that way. And, you know, for reasons that, that Mike said in the interview, <laughs> you know, it was just, it was time for him to move on. You know, you have Brady there with five rings and, <laughs> you know, that's, that's pretty much Brady's franchise. So, but hey, the, the Niners are better off for it. And yeah, in, in, in this week one game, I'll tell you what, was, I, I mean, Sunday I was pissed. Mm-hmm. I, I was because I felt like there were just too many things that I saw in the preseason and that I saw last season that carried over. Mm-hmm. Things that happened before Garoppolo played last year, we have the drop passes and just the sloppiness and, and turnovers and, and that sort of thing. If you look at this game as a whole, the Niners played like crap. They played all, I thought they played terrible. 
Mm-hmm. I, I, defense played really well after a little while, but I, I, I should I shouldn't knock them. The defense I thought played really well, and we'll get into more specifically. But offensively, they played like garbage, and they still only lost by eight points. They should have had so many more points, but you had Garcon drop a touchdown pass. And listen, I understand that was a tough catch. You know, he's in the air, but mm-hmm. an NFL receiver has to make that catch. Mm-hmm. He absolutely has to come down with it. And if you're Pierre Garcon, who this team is relying on, especially when you have Goodwin out, you have to make that catch. And as he's making big money at receiver, and he's a guy who has not scored a touchdown for them in nine games. And actually, Garcon hasn't scored a TD in his last 12 games total and has just three in his last 25. Mm-hmm. And Garcon's never been a big touchdown guy. In two full seasons with Peyton Manning, he only had 10 total touchdowns. And in two full seasons with Kirk Cousins, he only had nine. So I understand he's not a touchdown guy. He's more of an in-between the 20s move the chains. But he has an opportunity to bring in that ball. He's got to bring in that ball. He's got to do it. Dante Pettis drops the ball, but he also makes two big plays. And that's what you're going to get out of Pettis. That touchdown catch he made was ridiculous. Yeah. and But he's going to drop balls, too. He's a rookie. He's going to be up and down. You take that. George Kittle had a great game, but he drops what would have been a huge completion. So just those things that drive you nuts in the penalties, the sloppy penalties. Uh, Tomlinson had a holding call, whatever the hell Solomon Thomas was doing at the end of the game. Ugh. I mean, it's unforgivable to jump when a team is trying to, to draw you off sides. What he did, it was, it was on, I don't even understand what was going through his head. And look, we love Solomon Thomas. We like him as a player. We love him as a person. He's a good dude. It was unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. And I know I'm rambling, but get back to the grapple thing we were talking about. He made some terrific throws. But this was Jimmy's worst game as a professional, as a starter. He made a lot of bad throws. He forced a lot of throws. And I know Bourne fell down in that one interception, but that wasn't a good throw. It looked, it, it, I don't know if that was going to be completion anyway, even if Bourne stays up. And th- he looked, to me, you know, we talk about him being Brady and Rodgers. He looked very Tony Romo-ish to me in that game. And that's not an insult. I, I, I think Tony Romo was a very undervalued, underrated quarterback. But Garoppolo just looked like he had that gunslinger sort of mentality in that game, and you hope that he's more surgical than Gunslinger. So there were definitely things there that I saw about him that worried me, but they are playing against the best defense in the league in the Dome and still almost pulled that game out. We have to remember that this is only Jimmy Garoppolo's eighth career start, and he's still only 26 year old, years old, and despite the fact that he's got all this praise and, and the, the streak last year and all, and all those things, he's still learning. He's still learning as a quarterback, and he's still growing. Now, did he play even up to even up to like half of his potential? No, he didn't. He had a rough game. Like I think that I think that this is a learning experience for everybody. I think it's a learning experience for for Jimmy Garoppolo. I think it's a learning experience for Kyle Shanahan uh, and the rest of the offense as well. Because this is this is the first time out that the 49ers have been able to really open up their playbook with Jimmy Garoppolo under center. Last year, he was only operating with about a quarter of the playbook, and he operated that that quarter of the playbook like the the best quarterback in the league, but. This year, it's a totally different story. He has had a whole, he's had a whole offseason to learn the playbook and, and expand on his skills. And I think that at some point, Kyle Shanahan is going to have to rein him back in. Like He pretty much gave him full reign to, to do whatever he wanted uh, on Sunday. And, and it really didn't work out that well because he, missed, he was doing some things that are kind of uncharacteristic of the Jimmy Garoppolo that we've come to know. He was missing open receivers. He was not reading defenses properly. He was throwing into... I mean, he kind of always throws into coverage, but he's able to fit it in. He just, everything just seemed off. Like he missed a wide open George Kittle in the end zone. Like mm-hmm. I really believe that a couple of things happened. I, I thought to myself, what's the difference between last year and this year? And the number one thing that I came up with was that he was not taking what the defense gave him. 
there were very few checkdowns. He only tra- targeted the running backs twice, minus the the throw to use check, the long throw. He mm-hmm. only targeted the running backs twice, and he had one completion for five yards. And when you're when you're trying to move the ball against a, a really good defense, and Minnesota, in my opinion, is the best defense in the league. Like they were just flying around. When you're trying to move the ball, move the ball against a defense like that, you have to be able to just take what they give you. If they give you a five yard button hook, take it. They give you a little two yard bubble screen, take it. He was he was trying to force the ball down the field into windows that weren't there. And he did it from the, the opening snap of the game. Like Garcon, he, he took that hit at, on that slant at the beginning of the game. It was, it was basically a thrown in double coverage. He took one hit on the hip and he ended up limping off. I don't know if you remember that, but mm-hmm. he was doing that the entire game. And, and it's not characteristic of what made him successful. Like last year, it would, they kept it simple for him. Jimmy found the open guy and he would throw it to him no matter what. And this one, it seemed like he was looking off the open guy to get, to, get it to another guy. And there are several times where he, he missed guys in the flat um, he missed, uh, he missed Kittle in the end zone. Uh, Trent Taylor took way too long to get involved. Trent Taylor was his favorite receiver last year and he took way too long to get involved. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, favorite receiver on third down, obviously Marquise Goodwin being out for most of this game didn't help. I just think that, that people are too quick. Like you heard probably in the national media that people are quickly saying that Jimmy Garoppolo was too quickly anointed and, and all these things. I think that that's a snap judgment. It was Again, the best defense you're going to face all year. Jimmy played well in spurts. He was able to find some open guys. And you're going to see, Al, you're going to see how poorly a lot of quarterbacks fare against this Minnesota defense. You're going to be like, by the end of the season, you'd be like, wow, Jimmy actually did a lot better than we thought he did at, in that game in contrast to the other quarterbacks that, that played against them. You know, you, you brought up a great point that I want to get to in a second. But before I do, yeah, we got to kind of pump the brakes on the week one stuff. And I, I said... Mm-hmm in the off season that we got to pump the brakes a little bit on Garoppolo too, because he is young and he's only had seven starts and he's going to have games like this, you know, but week, week one is fluky. Roethlisberger threw three interceptions. Stafford threw four interceptions. It happens. These games happen and you can't read too much into it. I don't think, but the great point I thought that you brought up was the checkdowns and he only threw his running backs, Hyde and Brita combined 20 times. He had 20 targets in the five games last year. He's got to learn when it's not there to just check the ball down. Mm-hmm. Sometimes second and six is fine. You know, sometimes third and four is fine. He's got to learn to take those easy completions instead of trying to force the ball so he doesn't make, get turnovers, you know, so he's not putting his team in a bad spot. But, mm-hmm. excuse me, he will, he will learn that. And I'm sure LaSalle Shanahan knows everything that we're talking about right now. Kyle Shanahan's going to help him adjust and, and help him scheme. And I thought Kyle did a good job scheming in this game. It, it did drive me crazy a little bit um, with those two runs to Morris that he fumbled oh. on both of them and lost the second one. Yeah. To me, I'm, I'm thinking at that point, that gets you right back in the game. It would have been 10 to 7 there, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe. It would have been 10 He 10. runs the ball and 10 to 10. would have been 10 to 10. Okay, okay. Yep. So he runs the ball. Morris fumbles the first time. And I said to myself, don't give him the ball again. I put the ball in Jimmy's hands and he gives him the ball again and he fumbles. Yeah. And I'm like, really dude, you're this great play caller. And I, I did think he did a pretty good job of, of getting guys open. I didn't think the Niners executed, but there I was just, what are you doing? And, and the same red zone problems came up and shifting from Garoppolo to the supporting cast. Once Goodwin went out, I was nervous just because Goodwin meant so much to Garoppolo last year. He was the most targeted receiver with 43 targets. No one else had more than 20. Mm-hmm. But when he went out, I said, okay, 
are we going to have enough here? Can Pettis step up? I, I did think Pettis did, did a really nice job considering, but the other receivers, you know, Taylor didn't get involved until late. So that's what do you have four catches for 28 yards. Garcon only had two catches on six targets. Bourne was invisible in, in running the wrong routes. Did we overrate this group? If, if they're not whole and they don't have Goodwin, is there enough depth here? I don't, I don't know anymore. So Minnesota's defense, again, they're probably the best defense in the league. And that defensive backfield that they have, like Harrison Smith, Sandeo. They're sick. They're sick, yeah. yeah. Like Trey Waynes, Xavier Rhodes. Like that's, that's probably the best defensive backfield in the game right now. Like I can't think of another, another group that's, that's better. Even the group in L.A., like that, they their safeties aren't as good as Harrison Smith and Zendaya. Like they, this was a group that was aggressive. Like I watched other games during uh, during the, this first weekend out, and I, I'm not and I'm not saying this because I'm biased towards the 49ers. I'm saying this because this is the truth. Minnesota's defense is on another level. Like the way that they fly around, the way that they fly to the ball, the way that they hit, how fundamentally sound they are. They are the best defense in the league right now. I watched the Rams versus the Raiders, and it was the Rams are, are considered to be a good defense too with all their additions, but it wasn't even close to the same thing. That's how good Minnesota was. And I think that that has something to do with it too. Like the, the, the ball that Pettis dropped, it was right in his arms. Like it was, it was a dime that Garoppolo threw to him, and it would have obviously changed the game at the time. But Trey Wayans got his arm in there, like perfect coverage, basically got his arm between his, uh, Pettis's hands and the ball. And all he had to do was just, pull his arm out and the ball came out. I mean, that's like average corners don't make that play. Like right, only the best right. corners make that play. Xavier Rose, a big physical corner. He's, I said it before the game on our, on our previous show that he's a top five corner in this league. Like he's that good. So it's not so much that the 49ers receivers played poorly and, and they did in spurts. It's also the fact that they were going against probably the best secondary in the league. And, and I think that there are some things that need to be cleaned up like born, to me, it's inexcusable to, to run the wrong route. Like if you're at this point, you've had all training camp, you know what's going on. Like on a on a hot route, you know what has to happen. Like they showed blitz before the, the, the snap even happened. It's not like they disguised it. So he's gotta know that he's gotta break off his route. And I think that that's one of those things that's it's it's inexperienced showing up. And had it been somebody like Goodwin or Garcon that he threw at, he probably would have been able to break that off and 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 had that completion. But that change the complexion in the game and, and it's half on the receiver. It's half on the quarterback. Of course, Jimmy threw the ball, but at the same time as a receiver, you have to give your quarterback something to work with. And Kendrick Bourne, he, he, he owned it. He said that it was his fault. He, he fell on the route he ran the wrong route and, and that's fine. But at the same time, like you need more production out of, out of this receiving group. Kittle was the most targeted player and we'll get to, we'll get to that in a second. But other, other than the, the Pettis catch down the field, this group really didn't, didn't do much down the field. And I think that for, for as far as Bourne goes, they may you may see Richie James because we don't know if Goodwin's gonna gonna play this weekend. As of the recording of the show, he's still doubtful to play, so he may not play with the quad injury. And we may see Richie James, which which would be you know kind of kind of interesting to see as well. So I think that again, week one is really weird, like you said. It's too early to really tell whether this group is gonna be good or bad, or you know, they they could have had a bad game. Um I'm not quite ready to write them off just yet. I do think that they do need, do need more help in the off season, but for now, I think this group is going to be fine. I hope so. I, I guess I'm worried because like I said earlier, the things that we saw in this game are things that we saw last year, pre Garoppolo with drops, sloppy play, that sort of thing. But you mentioned the Vikings defense. 
in 2017, they were first in points allowed, tied for first in yards per play, second in first downs allowed, first in yards allowed, first in passing TDs allowed, first in passing yards per attempt, second in rushing yards allowed, and third in scoring percentage. And they added Sheldon Richardson. So this is a nasty, nasty defense. And it was going to be a really tough game for them. And you also mentioned George Kittle in this game. And he had five catches for 85 yards, which could have easily been seven for about a buck 70 and a touchdown, maybe two touchdowns if he doesn't drop that long ball. And he breaks a tackle and maybe takes off there. Kittle looked like a star, Zane, didn't he? He did. And I want to get to the drop first before before we get into everything else, because that's what everybody's thinking about this game. And that there's two there's two moments where this game turned. And one of them was the Alfred Morris fumble. And I, I do have something to say about that as well. And the second one was the Kittle drop because immediately after that, the play after that, the Vikings brought the blitz and Jimmy threw the pick six. So mm-hmm. that, that to me is just a lack of concentration. Like it was, it was right there. That's not on Jimmy. That's on, that's all on Kittle. Like he, you have Absolutely. to make that catch. If you're an NFL player, you have to make that catch. And I always find it interesting when announcers say, Oh, well it was a tough catch and this and that. Well, Gosh darn it, like you're getting paid a m- millions of dollars to do your job, to catch the ball. Like it, you you are paid to make tough catches. Anybody can go out, you and you and I can go out there and make an easy catch that's thrown right between the numbers, but you are paid. That's what makes you better than the average human being at what you do. Like you were paid to make the tough catches. So go out there go out there and make them. And it wasn't even that tough of a catch. Like that drives me nuts. I can't I can't stand errors like like the Solomon Thomas one or the the Alfred Morris one, the fumble on the one or the Kittle drop, because that's literally, that's just mental. You overthought it and you, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't just let things happen. You overthought it and you were like, Oh, like what's What's going to happen after I catch it. And it's just, it just drives me nuts. So that thing frustrated me that, that play probably frustrated me, frustrated me the most out of the game because they still had a chance at that point to really put some pressure on. And what happened after that made me even more angry because it's like, you can't do that because that's mm. what happens. So, yeah. so, that being said, Kittle did he he played probably one of his most complete games that he's had since he's been here in San Francisco, and he he was dynamic. He was a mismatch. He was the most targeted receiver by Jimmy Garoppolo. Like they seem to really have a good chemistry, and I think that the the play in the end zone it was literally just like that's correctable, right? I think that that's one of those things for Jimmy. Like it's a physical error. You can you can correct that. Even the drop that's a physical error. You can correct that. But the fact that they have a tight end emerging out of this system is, is another option for Kyle Shanahan to use because the loss of Jarek McKinnon, I have to believe that it had some sort of impact on this game. You, there's no way that it can have an impact. So I think that Kittle is going to become like one of those safety outlet guys for Jimmy. And I really think that he'll, he'll be able to, um, you know, find him, find him in the future. In all of this, obviously we're talking about everything that's happening with the skill position guys, but look, this offensive line was in shambles lost two guards. I mean, come on. You lose person, you lose Garnett, and then you got to shift your rookie right tackle into right guard, put Gary Gilliam in who, I mean, come on, he's not a, he's not a good football player. Mm -hmm. He's not who you want at tackle. He had a terrible game. Staley had a rough game. It was not a good game for this offensive line, which made things even more difficult. McGlinchey had to play play guard for the first time in his life. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, Again, you have to consider who they're playing. And you, I don't want to give this team excuses again because 
it oh my god it's such a fine line because the Niners played like garbage but they played this defense that I think is going to be absolutely dominating mm-hmm. I think the Vikings are going 14 and 2 I think they're winning the Super Bowl mm-hmm. I, I think that much of that team I think they're going to absolutely dominate this year mm-hmm. but the Niners should have won the game mm-hmm. the Niners should have won the game that's the crazy thing so you have all this anger towards like Oh, you dropped this ball and, and you're sloppy here and you forced this pass. They only lost by eight points yeah. against this team as dominant. That defense is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And the Niners shut their offense down for about two and a half qu- quarters, but that's going to be a pretty good offense, too. Mm-hmm. So it's a fine line, man, I guess, between being like really upset and thinking, like you said earlier, you know, that's a game the Niners would have lost 40 to six a year and a half ago or two years ago, whatever it's going to be. They came back. They, you know, they showed guts. And that's the thing about like Garoppolo's team too. Like they kept screwing up, but they kept kind of just almost coming back, almost getting there and making a play and making it close. And then they would have another chance to tie the game if Thomas doesn't jump offside. So, despite all the bad stuff that happened, all the garbage, all the sloppiness, they still should have won that game. And a big reason they should have won that game is because of the play of the defense. In Zane, there were some real bright spots there. There were, there were, there were a lot of bright spots on defense. Uh, DeForest Buckner being front and center, like that guy, he had three, three total sacks last year and he had two and a half this past Sunday, which was, he was just unblockable. And he's, he is the, the centerpiece of that defensive line. He's a budding superstar. He's going to be one of those guys that people are going to be putting in defensive player of the year consideration very, very soon. Like he, if he can stay healthy, this guy will be the anchor of your defensive line for the next 10 years. Like he's that, he's that good. And I can't say enough about, about Richard Sherman. They, they threw one pass his way, and uh, they completed it. Otherwise, actually, I think they threw more than one pass his way, but he was playing zone and the other, the other passes. But he only allowed one completion on the day to a guy that he was covering. And that's exactly what you want out of Richard Sherman. Like, he shut down whoever he was covering. And uh, Kirk Cousins threw a dime on the touchdown where Witherspoon got beat, just, just threw it right over his helmet pretty much. And the the coverage was great, but the throw was even better. And Fred Warner, I mean, man, I can't wait until Fred Warner and Ruben Foster play next to each other. I think Malcolm Smith's job is gone. He's, frankly, yep, I do. No, I really do. No way are they taking Fred Warner off that field. No, no he, he was, was he was him and Buckner were yes, they were dominant. Like they were for a rookie to come in in his first game like that and dominate his position, he punched out that fumble. He missed a tackle mm-hmm. at, the, at the very beginning, came back, punched it out. Richard Sherman recovered it. And by the way, did you see the replay of when Sherman got the ball? He, he ran to the sideline and gave the ball to Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think that's a really cool moment. Yeah, I thought that was cool too. Yeah, yeah, it really shows that these guys are really unified and, and they play for each other. And he's not doing that for Russell Wilson. Like when he, when he was in Seattle, he would never do that for Russell Wilson because he hated him. So... Um, for those of you who haven't read it, read the, read the Sports Illustrated article on the Seahawks and their demise. It's pretty, for a 49ers fan, it's awesome to read um, because <laughs> it talks about how, they, how they're being dismantled. But there's a dynamic that you, need to, that you need to know about over there. So anyways, Sherman was, was great. Warner was great. DeForest Buckner looked like the best player on the field for either defense. Like he was, he was prolific. And I really think that we, we talked about in the, in the first episode of the 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 season before before this past uh week that the defense may have to steal a game or two and i think that you will find that this year they're that good and as far as circling back to the offensive line i know we've gone a little bit far down the road but circling back to the offensive line like 
they have to they have to figure something out. Like I, I'm with you in the fact that they the, the same problems persist from last year. Like the offensive line problems persist. The lack of an, a consistent pass rush from the outside is is still a problem. Linebacker depth is still a problem. Mm-hmm. It's just at some point they they have to stop sitting on the cap money and start doing something with it. So um, I think they're going to be okay long term on the offensive line because Jimmy will probably be able to get rid of the ball quicker than he did in this last game. But they need to find something. They need to find a permanent solution at right guard. Like they can't just stay. Yeah, gotta stay healthy. They don't have the yeah. depth. They have to stay healthy there. Yeah. Um. um so yeah, you're sorry. You're going to say something. Oh yeah, I was going to say piggyback what you said on Buckner. Yeah, he he was sensational, and we talked about him being a defense player of the year candidate, and he looked he looked like it. And we hit on Warner, and look, there's special pieces on this defense. Eric Armstead is a good player. Mm-hmm. That's another narrative I kind of want to stop because I thought he had a good game too. Like he did. Eric Armstead. Okay, is he the dominant like first round pick? No, but he's a good player. And I are better off for him being on the field than not being on the field. He's mm-hmm. a, he's a good player. Let's stop the narrative that he can't play. He can play. Is he Khalil Mack? No, he's not that type of player. If if you want him to be that type of ten sack guy, it's not happening. But he's a good he's a good football player. And I thought he showed that, and I think he will show that. Like you said, that edge will be an, an issue all season. I don't think Cassius Marsh is going to do anything there, but the rest of the guys in the D line are pretty special. And you, when you get Foster and Warner there as well, that's going to be special. And especially uh, Brock Coyle's out, and I don't want to rag on the guy. He, I know he broke I think he broke a bone in his back or whatever. He's going to be out for at least six weeks, but I don't want to rag on the guy, but he was atrocious. Yeah. There were a lot of missed tackles in this game and a lot of it was him. And um, I want to Eric Crocker, who writes for fourth and nine with Dylan D Simone. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Eric underscore Crocker. He, he put up some videos today about coil in his pursuit. If he, did you see those today? What he put up? I did. I did. And Brock Coyle, like we have to remember that he was, a, he was brought in to be like a special teams guy. The fact that he had to play, was because Ruben Foster was out for most of last year and obviously suspended this year. But but yeah, go ahead. Watching Coyle, and I, I don't know, just when you're watching on television or something, I guess you don't notice it. But one, he is so slow at recognizing the play. And two, there was one where it was a swing pass. One play was a swing pass to Delvin Cook. And he doesn't recognize it right away. And Cook is so much faster than he is. Cook mm-hmm. coming off ACL surgery. Coyle starts to run at him and then sort of turns around and runs back and meets him like four yards downfield to make the tackle. Whereas Ruben Foster is like a rocket and is going to catch him almost at the line of scrimmage. He's going to run right at him and be able to catch him. Coyle had to stop and start to run backwards just to catch where he was going to be. He is so slow and he hurt this team in so many ways with his tackling and just being on the field. And that's where the depth comes in for the Niners. They have these injuries. Malcolm Smith isn't there. Ruben Foster isn't there. When guys like Coyle are on there, it's it's on the field. It's going to hurt the team. And and, and he did this week, but we'll see what happens. I mean, who's 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 Elijah Lee is going to start this week, right? Yeah, I believe Elijah Lee is going to start, and they signed a couple of uh, linebackers this week as well. I forget the names. Um, they need Ruben back, like now. Yeah, like now. Yeah, they they definitely need Ruben Foster back. And the the thing about the 49ers linebackers, when you want to be able to run the Seattle type defense, you have to have guys that can that can run, like when. Robert Sala was in Seattle and they were running that defense. Like they, Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, Malcolm Smith, they could all at that time, Malcolm Smith was obviously a little bit better for the scheme, but they could all run. They could all tackle. They could all do all of that stuff right now. You really only have one guy that you can count on in terms of the linebacking core that can actually do all of those things. And it's Fred Warner. Mm-hmm. And he until Ruben comes back. 
Until Ruben Foster comes back, exactly. Yeah. And then when Foster comes back, it's a totally different story because Coyle, I mean, obviously he's injured now, but when he's healthy, he'll get back to the special teams role he was meant for. And you can have guys like Elijah Lee be the first guy off the bench. We could see what he has he has this weekend. Now, is it uh, a championship caliber defense? I don't think so. I don't think they're there yet. They're missing that elite pass rusher. You mentioned Cassius Marsh. He he had a, he had a couple plays where he was in the backfield and created some pressure on Kirk Cousins, who isn't entirely mobile. I'll be curious to see what they do against a guy like Russell Wilson, mm-hmm. who likes to run around in the pocket. But I think that the the pressure up the middle was was fantastic. Armstead was really good. Um, Solomon Thomas didn't really have an impact. Like again, like you said, like he uh, he's a great guy, great you know nice nice dude to talk to, and he came on our show, and he's he's a really good dude, but. I just don't see the impact. Like I, for a th- number three overall pick, he he had 35 snaps. He's in rotational role. And I tweeted this and I'm like, it's, it's unfortunate that uh, that high of a draft pick is just in a rotational role. And to function as a defense, you need your high draft picks to do well. You need right. your guys up front to do well. And he had zero tackles, obviously zero sacks and one huge penalty. I, the, the entire stadium knew that he was not, that Kirk Cousins was not going to snap the ball. They're in their own end. They're they're eight points up. They have the 49ers have two timeouts. There's no way in hell that Kirk Cousins is snapping the ball on fourth and one in their own end. It's just, just mind boggling that he did that. And at that point, I was just like, I, I, I was just done with the game. I was like, man, I can't believe you just did that. They were going to get the ball back. Like, what are you mm-hmm. what are you trying to jump for? So I, it's just things like that, that if you're a, num- a number three overall pick going in your second season, you can't be doing that. You have to be smarter than that. So there's some things they got to clean up on defense. Tart and Colbert were, they were all right. Like they, they got to tackle better. Yeah. They got to tackle better. better. Uh, Colbert needs to, needs to wrap up a little bit more. Um, Tart's got to be able to to tackle better instead of going for the big hit. Really? Like, I just feel like they were too tightly wound this game. Could have been, could have been Jimmy Ward played like, he played five, I believe five snaps. So, and was beat for a big third down uh, early, uh, early in the third quarter when the Vikings were deep in their own end. They they beat Jimmy Ward. Thielen beat him for a big first down. Otherwise, they would have got the ball back. So, I think that it's a lot to pay for a nine million dollars. A lot to pay for a guy who gets nine snaps or five snaps. So, I think that they've got some decisions to 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 make on defense and who's going to play middle linebacker, who's going to be their nickel corner. After Kwan Williams, if he goes down, who's going to be the edge rusher? They still have those questions. Jimmy Ward makes what eight point five million dollars? Yeah, about nine mil. Yeah, so he makes five hundred thirty-one thousand dollars a game. So he made what one hundred six thousand dollars a snap. That's the that's the life, huh? <laughs> pretty good, man. It's a pretty good life. I, I do want to <laughs> one play hundred grand. Yeah, that's that's the wow. life right there. Um, what did you think about the play calling near the near the goal line that the Alfred Morris thing? We I want to expand on that a little bit. You mentioned oh, I that I hated it. I hated it. You okay? Yeah. I understand you give, you give it to him once, right? Try to mm-hmm. muscle it in there. Sure, okay. You take a shot at it. Didn't work. You fumbled the ball. Don't do it again. They did yeah. the exact same thing. You you're paying Jimmy Garoppolo 127 million or whatever you're paying him. Put the ball in his hands. Yeah, I want to. See what he could do down there. You tried to run it once. And listen, I, I love running the ball inside the three-yard line. You must try to muscle it in there, but mm. didn't work. Get a little creative. That would have changed. That was huge. That was probably the play of the game, really. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it ties the game. It gives the Niners all the momentum. The Niners should have been down 20-3 to three at that point. Mm-hmm. They were playing so poorly. And 
didn't, I didn't understand it. And that's where, look, I've been saying this for a long time. It's not like I'm just piggybacking on this now because they didn't do well in this game. They were one four in the red zone. What did I say all off season? They should go after a Jimmy Graham or a Tyler Eifert or somebody that's going to give them someone who scares the defense in the red zone. They don't have that person. I hope Kyle can scheme it open. There should have been three touchdowns that didn't happen with fumbles and drops and everything else. They may be okay without it, but I think they need someone like that. I might even give Des Bryant a call. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I feel right now. Maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. They the the call to give Alfred Morris the ball the second time after he fumbled the first time. I couldn't believe that. Like I was more pissed at Kyle Shanahan than I was at Alfred Morris. He should have he should not have even been on the field. He should have been taken off. You have Juszczyk, you have Brita, you've got Jamie Garoppolo. You can run him on the bootleg. You're the, you're the best offensive mind in the game. You can't come up with a play better than let's run Alfred Morris into the back of our offensive line for a second straight time. I, can't, yep. I couldn't believe he made that call. So Kyle Shanahan definitely, yeah, he has to get better near the goal line, and I think he acknowledged as much. He, he acknowledged that they've got to get better, and he's got to get better. And I hope that the next time that they're down there, they come up with a better play. And he usually does. To his credit, Kyle Shanahan usually does come up with a better play. I was just shocked the fact that they are that they even tried that a second time. So again, it was a learning experience. And 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 Al, like we're we're talking about a lot of negatives here, but but I want to highlight some of the positives because for me, like despite the the tone the tone for me uh, during the show, I I felt that this was a, a really really good building moment for this team. Because, like I said earlier, they would have been blown out in years past. They came back and they fought back. The throw that Jimmy made to Dante Pettis was an absolute dime. Like, that's what Jimmy Garoppolo is to me. Not the three interceptions that you saw that he threw or the pick six. To me, Jimmy Garoppolo is that quarterback with the pockets collapsing. He spun out, threw to a spot in the end zone, and Dante Pettis was there. Like, he didn't just chuck it up for grabs. Like, he knew Dante Pettis would be there, and he threw it to that spot. And the, the throw that he had to, to use check down the sideline and the throw that he had to Kittle where he got, he got, took a shot right after the hit. And even, even if it wasn't caught, he found the, the man that was open. That's what, that's what Jimmy Garoppolo and the Kyle Shanahan offense looks like to me. And I think that you're going to see more of that going forward. This was the best. I can't emphasize this enough. This was the hardest game on the schedule. You will not go into a tougher place to play than Minnesota. And I'm kind of glad that they got it out of their way. There were spurts where Alfred Morris did play well. Uh, obviously, after that fumble, he was largely taken out of the game. But this and, and, and the defense was really, really good. They only allowed 17 points to a, a, a potential Super Bowl contender on the road. So there's a lot to look forward to. And I think that this week's game against the, the Lions was one of those, obviously, before the season that they circled. They're like, they're, they're going to win this game. They know they're going to win this game. And I think that they will. First thing I tweeted out after I was done my ranting after the game was that Detroit's going to get it. They were blown out at home by the Jets, and granted, they'll probably play better this week, but this is one of those teams that the 49ers should beat. And for as poorly as they played against Minnesota, nobody really expected them to win that game. Like, I, I remember texting you after the game, and I'm like, Al, should I be disappointed? And you, you sent me back this long message of the reason why I should be disappointed. But I think that for the 49ers, they really they really come away from this feeling like, Hey, we can hang with the big boys. We can compete. And I think that's going to go a long way. And they know that even if they brought their B plus game, they would have won that game. And I think that going forward, that's going to mean a lot more than a win would have, because honestly you learn more from your losses than you do from your wins. So I want to get to this week and talk about Detroit and 
really this this is one of those games that you it's a bounce back game and i'm i was always curious to see how jimmy would play after a loss and after a poor game and you got both of those last week so i'm curious to see how he bounces back whether he puts up another stinker which i don't think he will or whether he puts them away like right off the bat and i think this is going to be one of those games the 49ers it's it's not really going to be in doubt detroit really doesn't match up well in terms of defense 49ers ziggy ansa is their best pass rusher and he's kind of been one of those guys that never met the potential that he should have. They franchise tagged him and he's a potential for the 49ers next year, actually, when he becomes a free agent. They have Darius Slay, who's one of the better corners in the league, but he's he's not like Xavier Rhodes. They've got Glover Quinn at safety, who's who's not a bad safety, but again, not Harrison Smith. So you're and and on top of that, it's a home opener. So you're really gonna see uh what the 49ers offense can do against a team that's more like on their level or a team that they're better than. I want to get into that, but I, I forgot to mention and I wanted to about uh, Witherspoon because I we knew if Sherman was Sherman, he's going to be a lockdown corner, right? We know that. And we also knew that Witherspoon was going to get picked on because of it. And I thought he played overall pretty well. And he gave the touchdown to Diggs, and that throw was unbelievable. I mean, Cousins yeah. put that in a perfect spot. And should it, Witherspoon have turned his head? Yes, he needed to turn his head there. But coverage was not bad. The coverage was there. He just didn't turn his head and, and Cousins dropped the dime in there. So I just want to say that, that I think with Witherspoon, because how he plays this year is going to be huge for this team. And I thought overall he did well. I, I just wanted to bring that up. But yeah, this this Detroit game, to me, this is as much of a must-win as you can have in week two. If they don't beat the Detroit Lions at home in their home opener, a Detroit Lions team that just got destroyed by the Jets with a rookie quarterback starting his first game, if they don't beat this team this team there's an issue mm-hmm. there's a you got you got a problem mm-hmm. you can try to sugarcoat it any way you want to if the 49ers don't win this game we have we have we have problems having said that i think they're going to win this game easily i think mm-hmm. they're going to come out and i, I garoppolo is going to play much better the offense will be much better i think shanahan's going to you know scheme like he always does and, and jimmy's going to hit the open receivers and i believe the defense is going to play really well I picked their defense in fantasy this week for oh, okay. FanDuel. Okay. I'm that confident in the defense. I'm never confident in the Niners. Like I, I always think worst case scenario, you know, mm-hmm. like, okay, this can go wrong or that can go wrong. I'm super confident this week. So when, if they lose, you can, you guys can yell at me or whatever. Tell me on Twitter. It's my fault, but I'm really confident this week. I, I, I can see like a 31 to 17 type win. Really feel like the Niners are going to come out angry mm-hmm. in the defense. I saw a lot of good things. I, I am, I am worried about the guard situation. Was it? I can even get his name. Najee Torin, I believe, is starting. Yeah. I was on the team and two days ago. Um, mm-hmm. Is going to start at guard. <laughs> You're going to have Elijah Lee at linebacker. That stuff is a little bit scary to me. But I think there's enough there to cover it up, and and I think you're going to see an angry 49ers team that knows we played our C game or. D game or whatever it was and lost the Vikings by eight points. We're pissed. And I hope you see that team and I hope they come out and play that way. I, I believe that they're going to. I think they will too. You can't always, NFL is so week to week. You can't always count on because, oh, because a team lost by whatever, whatever it was, 31 points last week, they're going to lose by the same margin this week. But talent wise, this is one of those teams that the 49ers should beat Detroit. Like this is they're they're more talented. They're better. Matt Stafford is is a is a really good quarterback, but he's he's got the injury to his shin, and the 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 Vikings have a much better running game than Detroit will. Detroit can't really run the ball. 
LeGarrette Blunt is there, and he's not really a quick running back. He's a big lumbering guy. And Golden Tate is there. Golden Tate, Marvin Jones. Golden Tate's a, re- a good receiver. Marvin Jones is is kind of like a number two sort of guy. Like He's not really like really prolific. You can really shut him down. So they don't really have very many weapons that are going to scare you like Minnesota did. And I think that this is the 49ers chance to kind of put a lot of concern at ease and take out a lot of the frustration that they had from last week because they know they're better than this team. And again, Al, every week is a learning experience and we're going to see what Jimmy Garoppolo does now with a team that he knows he's better than. Do you play down to their level or are you going to elevate your level to put this thing away and make it a no-doubter as soon as you can? And I think it'll be the latter. I think that Kyle Shanahan has probably realized that he has a few things that he could implement in this game that will help uh, take care of those those losses he's had in the offensive line. He has a whole week to scheme for it as opposed to doing it mid-game. And I think that the 49ers know that they can compete with the big boys, and that's that's a big deal. So I think we should just go into to game predictions, man. Let's do it. So, and honestly, before I do, I just want to say and remind everybody that the Niners won 20 to three in opening week of 2015 and 20 to nothing in the opening week of 2016. And we know how those seasons turned out. So beware mm-hmm. week one doesn't mean much. Mm-hmm. All right, Zane. Sorry. Game prediction. What do you think? Sorry. I, I totally jump. I'm jumping all kinds of guns here. That's how, nah, I, no that's how I, I'm anxious ramped, to get to Sunday. Up, ramped up. Yeah. I want to get to Sunday and, and the Niners can show what they can do at home, right? For the home opener. So, I'm going to say the Niners win this one. I'm going to say it's going to be 30 to 17. This one is going to be, it's going to be most, mostly out of reach for the most of the game. Maybe the Lions may score a late touchdown, but I don't think that the 49ers are, are going to lose this game. I think that they're a much better team than Detroit all across the board. They've got a chip on their shoulder now because they realize that they can, they could have had arguably the best team in the league last week. They could have beat, they could have beat them. And frankly, Al, this is a must win game. You go to Kansas City next week down 0-2, like you you are really putting yourself behind the eight ball at that point. And I had predicted, by the way, I don't know if you uh, if you were able to catch up on last week's show, but I predicted the Niners would go nine and seven. And I, I definitely want to get your prediction before we end the show tonight. But I think that the the Niners, I this is one of the nine wins that I had on their schedule, so they they have to win this game. I'm going to stick. I said 31-17. That's what, that's what I'll stick with. I, I'll say the Niners can win 31-17. And I also say 9-7 and seven for this team. And it's going to be a late run that gets them there. This opening stretch is really tough. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that they get through the first four weeks at 2-2. Two and two. They're at Kansas City and at the Chargers after this home game. So three out of four on the road. Tough schedule. If they can get out 2-2, two and two, they're in pretty good shape. And they're probably in my estimation, going to hover around 500 the first half of the year. You could see four and four, maybe four and five, but then I like that lat, that late season run again for them to get to nine and seven. Will that get them in the playoffs? I don't know. Probably going to be borderline. Uh, mm-hmm. I, even 10 and six would be borderline, but I do see them in that nine-win range if they can clean this stuff up. This team's a year away as much as we want them. If they get in the playoffs, anything can happen, especially if they're hot the way they were last year, but still think that there's enough holes and lack of depth on this team that they're a year away, but they are a nine-win team. I can't believe the NFL gave them a third-place a third place schedule that looks like this. Like, the first six weeks of the season are just brutal. brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. Like, you're going to Minnesota, to Kansas City, and that's Kansas City's home opener, by the way, which is ridiculous. I don't see why you play two opposing home openers in three, in three weeks. That's mm. ridiculous. 
and then after that, to San Diego or uh, to LA, and then home again. I believe it's home against the Cardinals, and then on the road to Green Bay. Like I, I can't believe they have these road games at the beginning of the season. Like it's I rough. don't know if there's any any team that has a tougher schedule to start the season than the 49ers do, and it's ridiculous. And I, I, I don't want to whine about this, but I mean, NFL. Like, what are you doing? You, you gave like the entire hard part of the schedule to a third place team right off the bat. You could end their season if they go if they go like one and six. That's it. The season's done. Like, and that's literally just because of scheduling. So that's that's one of the things that makes me irate is that the fact that there's zero balance in the schedule. Now, yes, the the second half of the schedule is easier, but if you're having to play catch up by that time, it doesn't matter. So I'm hoping, like you, that they can get through the the first half, even 500, and that would be that would be a really good place to be because I don't think they're they're winning the majority of these games. I think that these teams are. Both, most of these teams are bona fide playoff teams, and they're and they have better talent than the 49ers do right now. So I think that just hang in there and win as many of these as you can. See if you can steal one. Like maybe Patrick Mahomes has a bad game in KC for his first start over there during during this year's regular season. But I think that again, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to beat nine and seven. Now I, you know what, Al, we forgot game balls. It's the first week for us. Oh yeah, we used to give game balls, right? Yeah, oh, we forgot game balls. This at all? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been it's been it's been a while. So um, before we go, we we should definitely give game balls out. I'll start. Uh, my game ball goes to DeForest Buckner, just absolute stud. He had two and a half sacks. Probably they may give him the the, the extra half sack after looking at it on video, but absolute just stud. Just control the line of scrimmage, collapse the pocket. What else could you want out of him? So DeForest Buckner will get my first game ball of 2018. All right, I got to go somebody different. I'm going to say Fred Warner, and I'm going to say that because he is a third-round rookie, comes in, makes a huge impact. He's a modern NFL linebacker, mm-hmm. and what he did was give 49ers fans hope that they have stud, will have a stud linebacker duo again because when Foster gets back, the two of them are going to be insane. They're going to be flying around the field, and it's going to make a huge difference for this defense. And just knowing that, he played like that and that you probably have a star and somebody who looks like they could be a pro bowl caliber type linebacker to me. That's huge. So I'm going to give Fred my game ball. He was great. 11 tackles, the forced fumble. He had a pass defense. He was everywhere, man. He was awesome. No, I say before we go to you were talking about the, the schedule. It is really hard, but the way I feel about it, if they can't beat the Cardinals, who look like who looked awful. If they can't win their hand, home opener against Detroit. And if they can't at least split the Kansas city, Chargers games, they got to win one of those games. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're not the team we thought they were. So that's kind of how I feel about that. They got to be three and four, four and four, four and five. They got to at least hover around there before the, for the schedule gets easier late in the season. If they can't play around 500 ball first half of the season, maybe they're not the team they thought we, we thought they were. I think they'll be okay. I think I do too. I do too. I think they're going to do it, but yeah, I think they'll do it. I think that they could probably steal. They'll, they'll steal one of the Chargers or Chiefs game. I think that they'll they'll split that for sure. Um, Chargers got lit up by Patrick Mahomes and Kyle Shanahan. You know he's salivating at that. Obviously, the Chiefs had Tyree Kill, which is he's who's a transcendent player. And the Forty ers frankly, don't have that. But I think that it's there's there's some wins on the schedule Al, this year that that they'll steal. So so I wouldn't be too worried, buddy. I think I think they'll be okay. I agree. I agree. All right, so we're both predicting a win for week two against the Lions. We will see how it goes, Zane, and I cannot wait to talk about it next week when we are back. And until then, we will talk to you later. Thanks, everybody. Peace.